Hi, Dr. Ray. I love your show. Let me show you what it looks like to be a holy person, and maybe you'll want to be holy like me. You just patted yourself on the back. You seem like an honest guy. But you're a psychologist. Do you have some advice? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're my second favorite Italian person. I think you have a way of making people feel relaxed. She needs to feel the consequences of being a jerk. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. Obviously, I'm a failure. Obviously, I'm inept. You are awesome. Keep up the good fight, my friend. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Andrew, we may have to uh, expunge that last bumper bit, keep up the good fight, my friend. They're kind of violent. You know what I mean? Could get us, uh, could get us in a little hot water there. Maybe she, maybe can we get her to record it? Maybe say, keep up the good um, struggle, my friend. Uh, keep up the good image, my friend. Keep up the good um, softening, my friend. You know, keep up the good fight. I, I don't know. I, that hopefully I can still get away with that. Nobody's complained so far. Thank you for joining me here on the Doctor Is In. This is the general Friday version, variant of The Doctor Is In. This is Look Back Friday, where long ago, and Andrew Kruchek has uh, told me that I thought this was about five years ago when we did this. It's been 11. I think that's right. Where we decided Look Back Friday is a way to take previous calls that bring up all kinds of questions and matters and side things that you could explore and you don't have time in the call. Now, obviously, you can't do therapy here. You don't do therapy, so you, you can't dig and probe. But you can make a few points, or you can explain something. A lot of times during the call, people will use a word, or they'll, they'll say something that indicates explanation is needed about what they said, whether it's a diagnosis, or a term in psychology, or a place where faith intersects with psychology that, at the time, if I were to chase that, would uh, take me far from where the caller wants to go. And for the most part, I'm going to let the caller direct where we go. But every so often, what I'm hearing them say is not what sounds like they're concerned about. And sometimes we use those calls for look back. So we shall get to those. The Internet is a great place to shed responsibility. When you have a young adult, let's say, who is making some pretty bad decisions about how to run their life, when they have certain habits, traits, options that are causing them trouble, they're not living well. And they feel the frustration. But they don't necessarily look hard at themselves. For why? It's part of fallen human nature. We don't easily look at ourselves. Typically, the first place they look is at their parents. You did this to me. You didn't raise me right. You were deficient. You didn't understand me. So they blamed the parents. But there's something else I've been noticing that may be in the ranking for blame 
Number two, that's the Internet. Dr. Ray, I'm just not following you on this one. Now, let me, as Ricky Ricardo says, let me explain. Had a situation where a young man decided to leave home. He's 19 years old, just decided to split. Mad at his parents. Just didn't like the way they did things, who they were. It's just upset about the whole thing. And, and for a while, he, he had no contact with them. He just decided, I don't need you. I don't want you guiding my life in any way. Now, this kid was in college, so he needed money for college. He was living off of what money he either had saved up or some type of small job that he could keep him afloat. The parents were good people, very faith-filled people who really attempted to raise their family well. And as a matter of fact, most of the kids just adored their parents. But this particular one, and you know this happens a lot, uh, for whatever the reason, had been brewing his resentments. And he never shared them with them. But he's been brewing. He'd been brewing him. As he attempted to navigate his way through college, he started to struggle some. He he didn't motivate himself enough, perhaps. And he saw problems with the way he was approaching things. But he didn't want to look hard at himself. He first looked at his parents to blame, and then he went to the Internet. On the Internet, he found a diagnosis. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. He told his parents, he read it, and he said, that's me, that's who I am, that describes me so well. So the parents talked to me about this said, what do you think? I said, well, I can't make the diagnosis from here, obviously, but let me give you some general principles. said, uh, did any of this come up, surface, when he was six, seven, eight, fifth grade, from teachers? Any poor school achievement? Any concomitant learning problems? No, no, none at all. Zero. None. I mean, he wasn't a straight-A student, but he was a, it was a B student. So, no, there, there were no academic issues whatsoever, and that's really where ADHD shows itself the most, in academic issues. No, no, there weren't any. Now, attention deficit disorder is a developmental disorder. It is there early on. It is the tail end of the temperamental continuum regarding attention or impulse or distractibility. And no, no signs of this. None. He discovered it, in quotes, when he was 19. Went to the internet. He read it over. Now, the description of attention deficit disorder, if, if you read it, especially if you read it via the internet, much of it could fit most of us. The symptoms, the descriptions, the signs, they can be broad-based enough, trait language enough, that you look at it and you say, yeah, well, I'm kind of like that. Oh, I do that. Yeah, that, ooh, that seems to be me. That's very common. It's kind of like, and I don't, I don't, this is not a parallel, but it's, 
similar to people looking at a horoscope and saying, oh, yeah, that, that's my sign. Yeah, that fits me really well. I got that. Okay. So what the young man was doing, is he, he wanted medication. He wanted um, an assessment. And the parents asked me about this. I said, well, I, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but let me tell you about ADHD. And I said, of those people, and here's the question they raised. They said, well, don't, don't some people as adults get diagnosed with ADHD? I said, yeah, they do. But in cases, often it's because this kind of clinical picture was present way back. And it wasn't necessarily identified as ADHD. There were attention problems. There were learning problems. There were impulse control problems. There was distractibility. And by the way, attention versus impulse control is is two different manifestations of what is called ADD or ADHD. So what happens is this kid stumbles upon what he thinks describes him when... More than likely, it was because he's living out on his own at age 19, cutting off his support systems and making bad moves. And, who knows, if he wasn't sleeping well, could have been because he was depressed, or he was sad over the rift between him and his parents. There could be all kinds of reasons why these things were supposedly happening to him as opposed to being ADHD. And I noticed that. I uh, had somebody contact me once. They had a very difficult marital situation. And it had been going on for quite a long time. And they said, in essence, I'm relieved. I found out the problem. I said, you did. Now, granted, uh, any long-standing marital situations has all kinds of complications and dramatic uh, dynamics, and there's not just one problem. She said, my husband's a narcissist. That explains it. No, it doesn't. It just calls it something. It doesn't explain why he's like that doesn't explain why he doesn't communicate well doesn't explain why he is emotionally self-centered it doesn't explain why he looks out for number one to the neglect of few it doesn't explain any of that it just puts a name on it why does he ignore me because he's a narcissist and it doesn't that doesn't tell you anything certainly doesn't tell you how to deal with it and I've been noticing that a lot too more and more people go onto the internet to try to find some reason for why they or somebody they know act a certain way and they stumble upon a diagnosis via the Internet and they've got their answer, when in fact they have no answer. As a matter of fact, they have a misleading answer because now they think they can explain the problem rather than doing the hard work to dive into the problems and try to sort through them. And, and by the way, to look at themselves too. So, watch out for the internet explaining who you are by giving you a diagnosis. I'm Dr. Ray. The doctor will be with you in just a moment. Today's programming on 990 WTEO is brought to you in part by Gift from our day sponsor. 
The annual Rose Mass for Catholic Healthcare Workers, celebrated by Bishop Boyer, will be at 4.30 p.m. Saturday, March 9th at St. Thomas in Ann Arbor, followed by a reception in the Parish Hall. Karen Bussey, director of the Mother Teresa House, will speak on redemptive suffering. Suggested free will donation is $20. RSVP at cmalansing at gmail.com. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. Modern philosophers Kierkegaard, Shelley, Sartre proposed the idea that existence precedes essence, by which they meant in simpler terms that in the process of time we make or create who and what we are. We understand, of course, that there are those who believe that their doing has been more successful than that of others, and have consequently argued that their being is on a higher state than that of others. This is the kind of thinking that leads to genocide, gas chambers, and abortion clinics. However, folks like Barb and Patrick and Paul and Alicia believe that from the beginning human essence is divinely ordered and infinitely valuable, and where else can we state this more clearly than our defense of freeborn children who cannot prove themselves or justify themselves. They can only be, which is why they are so precious to one named I Am. Go to GuadalupeWorkers.org At Glass Doctor, our trained specialists are experts at fixing foggy and cracked glass, leaving any residential window looking like new without replacing the entire window. Bring back the view of any window with Glass Doctor. Visit GlassDoctor.com to request a free estimate on repairing your foggy or cracked windows. Let Glass Doctor bring back your view. Call the Glass Doctor, we'll fix your pain. Oh, yeah. Very nice to have you with me. I appreciate it. This is Look Back Friday. We're going to look at the questions that we've hand-selected from uh, previous programs. Before I do, though, I, I want to just extend the monologue a little longer. I was talking about how if you go to the Internet, you can find some particular diagnostic description that you might be tempted to say, ooh, ooh that sounds a lot like me. That, that, that could be me. Psychologists can be very, very twicky. They designed a study. They told college sophomores, I believe it was sophomores, college sophomores are we psychologists' favorite subjects, them and rats. And if you actually have sophomores with rats, that's really a good subject. They gave these sophomores a newly designed personality test. They told the sophomores that this is this is a cutting edge personality inventory. This can really reveal a lot about yourself. So they asked the kids to take this test. I don't know exactly what the structure of the test was, whether it was true and false, whether it was multiple choice, I forget exactly. They gathered up the answers, and they said, we will score them and come back. When they returned, they handed out the personality profiles of each person. 
said, here is what your personality test revealed about you. Gave it to each of the kids. They said, would you please rate how accurate this test was? Most of the ratings were very positive. Very accurate, accurate, was me, etc. Was the test all that good? Was it cutting edge? <laughs> the twick, what these Waskowy psychologists did, it was the exact same description for all of the all of the kids. How'd they get away with that? Well, because of the way they set up the test results. You are often an outgoing individual, but there are times when you enjoy your private moments. Sometimes people don't understand you, and this bothers you, but you generally can get over it. Just, just these vague sort of statements that can fit everybody. And, of course, everybody read it. Uh, yeah, it fits me. Very good. And I think that's the danger when you head into Internet diagnoses. You can look at this and go, Ooh, ooh, my, my, my son-in-law is just like that. He's, he's got a personality disorder. This sounds just like him. You've got to be careful on that stuff. Internet is not a good place. All right, let's, uh, let's go to Kathy. Kathy's uh, from North Dakota. We'll be heading to North Dakota sometime very shortly here. Uh, we're going to Bismarck. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Fargo. We're going to Fargo. Uh, we're going to produce four episodes of the television show. And uh, we will begin our process of uh, inviting folks to be in the audience. But let's go to Kathy now. So you've got to decide what to do with your inheritance. And you got a whole bunch of kids. Well, I don't have any kids and brothers and sisters and there's nothing pending immediately but my husband is quite a bit older than I am. I've got 12 brothers and sisters and over three dozen nieces and nephews. Yikes. And there probably will be some money to distribute and of course some are more hard-working than others and so forth and i'm just wondering what your suggestions might be well here's what yeah here's what we did with our own children our own children are in various phases of life they are in various phases of living responsibly so rather than uh saying okay we're just going to give everybody a whole bunch of money uh, the first thing we did is we we decided to give most of it to charity. EWTN, Ave, various uh, Cross Catholic, various charities. I shouldn't have said EWTN. Now they're going to wait for me to die. Ah, shouldn't have said that. I blew that. But what we did is we gave each kid what we thought was a certain amount to help them. What you could do is you could say... Well, my siblings will get a certain amount exactly the same across the board. Thirty grand apiece. The nieces and nephews are generation removed, and there's a whole bunch of them, so they're going to get a grand apiece. You know as well as I do, Kathy, that some of those kids, if you gave them 30 grand, especially the nieces and nephews, they would be foolish with it. It would, it would hurt them. They would be self-destructive with it. You know that. That seems to be your your question here. 
So yes. if yeah, so if you're asking my advice, I'd I'd basically say a certain amount across the board. Now, now that said, if there's any of those siblings who have written you off or any of those nieces and nephews who you haven't seen in 26 years because they won't come and see their aunt Kathy. I think you have every right to say I'm not leaving them anything. <laughs> Why would I do that? They've written me off. That's that's what I would do. Fortunately, none of my kids have written me off, but I, I was kind of hoping they would because I could save some money. I just tease you. I'll talk to you. I think there's a, there's a, a, a broad principle involved here. It's always been understood, expected, that uh, we parents who are getting older, we leave our assets to our children. Or, barring children, somebody close, relative close. Maybe even a close friend. That that's the expected social thing to do. It's not. It isn't. That amount of whatever it is, assets, money, is something that uh, you've accumulated over your lifetime. You can do with it whatever you wish. Now, what keeps many people from doing what would be the wise thing to do with it is they are worried about the repercussions. Who would get mad? What friction might that cause between siblings? I mean, this one over here who is living a very immoral, irresponsible life and can can not come around but once every three years... Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna leave him the exact same amount of money as I leave his sister, who has come in here and kept me company and helped me out with so many things. And when I couldn't drive anymore, she took me places and she was always there. I, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I think there's a lot of variables to weigh in doing something like this. Well, I'll, I'll t- I'm going to talk about that story in, after the break. I think also many of the people who call this program are people of faith. Well, would you like to leave a certain percentage of it to your favorite charities? To whatever you want to support. As opposed to saying, all right, everything I have goes to these people, these children, these grandchildren, these nieces and nephews. One of the reasons I suggested to Kathy maybe a grand for each of the 30 nieces and nephews is because it would be really hard. First of all, my guess is going to be most of them didn't come and see her. That's typically the way it goes, by the way. You know as well as I do. When you get older, the nieces and nephews disappear. They're gone. They don't come over anymore when your kids brought them over when they were kids. But now that they're 23, you don't see them. They're not going to come and see Aunt Kathy. So the question becomes, once they've decided, uh, yeah, I'm busy with my life, and hey, Aunt Kathy, have a nice one, and you haven't seen them for 12 years, why, why would you leave them anything? But that's why I suggested a minimal amount. Now, there may be kids who have come around, have, have respected, and they visited, and they have an attachment. I think you have every right to leave those kids more can do that. You're not going to worry about what everybody thinks of you when you're not on this earth anymore. Because if you go to heaven, 
you're going to be blissfully happy with God. So I doubt that you'll be fretting because of people's reactions here. And God forbid you go the other place. Who? Yeah, then you're not going to have that. It's going to be least of your worries. So just some thoughts on the inheritance question. I'm Dr. Ray. When we get back, more from you. Very nice to have you with me. It's Dr. Ray Garendi. The program doctor is in a co-production of Ave Maria Radio Communications and the EWTN Radio Network. Some 400 plus stations and I think around the world some 500 plus. So my listening audience is uh, close to 205, 205 people now. So that's kind of nice. Just a story that occurred to me while I was talking about inheritance. My mom and dad... My dad worked in a factory for 43 years. He was a very hard worker. They were just the kind of folks that were just salt-of-the-earth kind of folks. And they they were very careful with their money. My mom could take a dollar and use it to buy a car and remodel the house and plant plants all around. My mom called me one day and she said, Ray, how much money do you have left? On the duplex. I own a duplex. I bought it when I was much, much younger because I wanted to to do something with my money to invest it. I said, I have have $7,000 left on it, Mom. She said, okay, we're going to write you out a check for the $7,000. And my mom and dad would then give the other $7,000 each to my three siblings. My sister, who is, she's not going to listen to this. She doesn't listen to the radio show with me on it. She's from another city. They don't get it. But I don't even know if she knows I'm on the radio. Yeah, she does. Okay. So my sister, she's always cautious about these kinds of things. She called my brother. She said, hi, Mike. How you doing? Mike said, good, good, very good. So what's new? Anything? No, no, not really. Well, I mean, anything exciting happened lately? She was probing. She was poking, trying to get trying to get the info without being blatant. He said, well, um, no, not really. Well, did uh, anything unexpected happen? You know, something you didn't expect, good fortune or something? He said, well, yeah, yeah, mom, mom and dad uh, gave us some money. Oh, she goes, oh, well, that's that's great. He said, yeah, that uh, that $25,000 is really going to come in handy. And you heard this dead silence on the phone. <laughs> he straightened it out later, but it was classic. Twenty-five grand will really help us. And she knew she only got seven. He was the favorite son, that's all. But then he did say to me, why didn't you tell mom and dad you had more than seven grand left on it? You know, like 42000 or something. <laughs> he laughed, I laughed. We wouldn't do that. All right, let's uh, take a call from Nancy, whose son had a brain tumor. 
when he was young. And she's talking about that effect on him now. My youngest son uh, has been incarcerated, and they lived several states away from us. Um, and now my daughter has uh, guardianship over the three children, 17, 14, and 13. The 17-year-old and the 14-year-old at one time were altar servers when I lived with them. Now, um, the 17-year-old no longer believes in God. The 14-year-old has started going to church with my son-in-law, who is not Catholic, but at least she's getting something. The 13-year-old had a brain tumor removed when he was three years old. And, of course, there's subsequent problems from that. He has... I guess he's somewhere under that umbrella you spoke about earlier. He's been in um, special ed all his life. Uh, he repeated kindergarten. They thought that would help, but it it really didn't. But so they've put him. They've had him in special ed. He's Nance, let me rush you along here, dear. Let me rush you along. I'm, so so I'm what sorry. is your what is your question about this thirteen-year-old young man? My daughter raised her one and only child. And it was newly remarried, and now she's taking care of me, and I have health issues, and now she has these three children, and every time I try to help, I'm I'm just told, no, I'll handle it, I'll handle it. And how many Nancy? How many times have you tried to help, and she she said, I'll handle it. Four or five times. Is that enough for you to say okay? I'll keep my opinions to myself. Yeah. Yeah, see, you're struggling with the fact that... Now, I thought your original question was that this 13-year-old who had the brain tumor at age 3 was using the, the brain tumor history as a reason for a lot of his difficult or violent or nasty or uncooperative behavior. That's, that's what yeah. our, our, our screamer had ra- raised as your question. I can't comment on that because I don't know where the brain tumor was. I don't know what what it affected of his brain. I don't know what the neurologist said. Uh, my my guess would be that they probably would say that re- tumor was removed. Uh, as far as we can tell, there was minimal brain damage because of it and because of the excising of the tumor. So therefore, this young man, even though there are some developmental delays, even though there may be some learning problems... He's certainly capable of enough self-control to not act out like this and to be held accountable for it. The problem people run into is they, they will say that if there was, for example, a history of some kind of neurological insult, therefore the person is 100% incapable of self-control. In the vast majority of cases, that's not true. They may be less capable, but they still have the capability. And I would hope that your daughter comes to realize this. And I have many questions about how the 17-year-old has decided, I don't believe in God anymore, uh, and, and what she's done about that, how she's attempted to instruct him or give him material to read. 
because all too often, we grown-ups, when a teenage kid says, I don't believe this anymore, because they hear a bunch of nonsense from people who don't know what they're talking about, we don't give them good information. We don't say, you are required to look at this and read this if you'd like to have driving privileges or if you would like a smartphone I have answers to your questions. We have plenty of scientific evidence that there is a God. I only got about 40 seconds to address the main question of Nancy, which is, and obviously she she didn't know uh, what the neurologist and the medical people told her about this 13-year-old young man who had a brain tumor when he was three. I think the reason I took that call was I wanted to comment on this kind of causal factor in someone's behavior, someone's emotions, someone's attitude. Because the question always raised is, how much are they responsible? How much are they accountable? And then, by extension, how much should we hold them accountable? So, I want to address that on the other side. This is Dr. Ray. Thank you so very much for joining me. This is Dr. Ray Garendi. The program is The Doctor is In. This is the variant on Fridays, Look Back Friday. I don't know if you were here. Most most people listen uh, briefly or bits and pieces to radio. They're either in their car or they've got it on for some reason and then they have to go somewhere else. They have to do something else. So I'm not sure... Uh, how many of you had heard the actual initial call from Nancy in Georgia, who is a grandmother, who had a question? She didn't. She didn't flesh it out that much. I I will about a 13-year-old grandson who had a brain tumor when he was three. And what she did say is it did result. She said he was in special education classes. Now there are many, many different kinds of special education classes. Uh, I don't know what his delays are. I have no idea what the learning problems are. We, could, we didn't get into any of that. But, but apparently, the question was: Did the brain tumor cause these kinds of developmental issues? But then her question, unspoken but was inferred, was. This young man at age 13 may be giving his mother a lot of problems, and how much of that can be attributable to the brain tumor? And my response to that is, only God knows. The temptation, and I've seen this many, many times, not so, not so often with something as clear-cut as a brain tumor, but maybe because of a traumatic incident. The temptation is to target that 
as the main, if not the sole cause of what's going on right now 10 years later in this kid's case. Don't know. However, in all likelihood, it it sounds like, and, and this is most often the case, it didn't so completely inhibit his maturity or self-control or intellect to the point where he couldn't be considered responsible for difficult or defiant behavior. But let's say that he has the emotional maturity of a nine-year-old or the impulse control of a seven-year-old, if you can measure it that way. But let's just, let's just say that for discussion's sake. Would you not attempt to raise well, hold accountable, someone with the developmental level of a seven-year-old? Would you, would you not do this with a normally developing seven-year-old? Would you say, well, he's seven, he can't be held accountable. No, he's seven years old, he's old enough to be held accountable. So if he's 13 and he functions like a seven-year-old or a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old, would you still not hold him accountable? Now, he may not comprehend and have the, the learning self-control of someone who didn't have a brain assault, but are we saying he's 100% incapable? Not likely. Not likely at all. I mean, if, if it were that case, this young man would have probably been placed somewhere because he just simply could not be in any way neurologically culpable, blameworthy. So, I've had a lot of parents come to me in situations like this where they'll say, here's what happened when he was X age. And as a result, we're not sure. We're not sure exactly how to handle the fact when he screams and he melts down for an hour and a half. But what have you done up to now? Well, we really kind of haven't done a whole lot. We've sort of tried to tolerate it because we're not sure how much we can expect. And I said, well, is he, is he functioning at some level? Oh, yes, yes, he is. Of course he is. Um, but, but, but his siblings never did any of this. So we just assumed that it was because of this incident or this accident or something, this illness that happened when he was four or eight that is causing all this. Well, unlikely that it's causing all of it. Because there are, there are always dynamics that go on after the fact. So, for example, let's say that he had an, an illness, high fever, when he was five. And the neurologist said that you know, there could have been some, some diffuse brain damage here that might result in uh, impulse control problems. All right. So, in the time from the time he was five to the time he's now 12, the parents have been very reluctant to set limits on him, hold him accountable. You recall the Helen Keller story? Where, when I forget who who was the tutor, I forget who she was. I blanked on her name. But Helen Keller was essentially allowed to be animalistic in her conduct, because her parents viewed her as, of course, without hearing and without sight. So, well, they didn't view her as that. She was that. 
So they made allowances for every single thing that she did. They just allowed it to happen. And when the tutor came on the scene, she had to she had to put down some pretty strong limits, and the parents were quite uneasy about this. But Helen Keller was not that way because of her conditions. She was that way because the parents had allowed so much conduct over the years that caused her to be so uncontrollable, so unsocialized. Given that, the tutor, and I'm just blanking on her name. Andrew, can you look it up real quick and feed it to me? It's going to drive me crazy the rest of the show. The tutor had to step in and change those dynamics. And when she did, of course, Helen Keller was a brilliant woman. Incredibly brilliant woman. So there's there's probably some similar dynamics in cases where someone has a handicap of some type. I had, for example, uh, in a Head Start program I used to consult, there was a young man who was extremely hard of hearing. In other words, he, he, he really couldn't function socially all that well. Well, in the class, he was unbelievably disruptive, very difficult. And I talked with the parents, and it came to light that they had pretty much allowed him any kind of conduct whatsoever because they said he has a handicap, he can't hear, therefore we can't expect him to be socialized. And his behavior was was at least socially much more of a handicap than his hearing was. So the point to be made here is even if the brain tumor did have some neurological effects that linger or that are laid in place, uh, there's still much that can be dealt with regarding this 13-year-old's conduct regarding socializing and moralizing him. I'm Dr. Ray. Beacon Skin and Surgeries is a comprehensive dermatology center on the border of Troy and Rochester Hills, south of M59 and in Livonia. Beacon Skin and Surgeries perform full skin exams and focus on the diagnosis and treatment of all types of skin cancer and precancerous lesions. All are board certified dermatologists and fellowship trained surgeons. Call 248-852-1900. Beacon Skin and Surgeries, a beacon for patient care. 248-852-1900. When you talk about the Reformation, you often hear talk of five solas. Sola Scriptura, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, Solus Christus, and Soli Deo Gloria. Catholics have no serious problem with Solus Christus or Sola Gratia. The problems are with Sola Scriptura and Sola Fide. Catholics will maintain that Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, is itself unscriptural. Where in Scripture does Scripture refer to itself as the only infallible authority that we have? It's also illogical to say that you stand on Scripture alone presupposes that you know what Scripture is. And Frankly, we don't know what Scripture is because it's a tradition that we've inherited. We don't establish it. We know what counts as Holy Scripture because Catholic bishops detected that certain texts were inspired by God. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays from 4 to 6 on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. 
I'm Jack Crisula. Please join us on Tuesday, March 12th at 6.30 p.m. at St. John's Resort in Plymouth for the rosary followed by a speech by Andreas Widmer. Andreas, a former Swiss guard under St. John Paul II, is an entrepreneur, professor, business coach, popular speaker, and author. No registration is required. For more information, please email jack.crisula, K-R-A-S-U-L-A at trustinus.com. God bless. Uh, I think I'm going to have to change this channel. I'm sorry. When I come across a quote that I think will help someone understand life better, I like to quote it. And I like to give credit to the socialist, uh, the uh, social commentator, the psychologist, the philosopher, the religious thinker that came up with this quote. So I, I would like to now quote uh, Groucho Marx. He said, outside of a book, a dog is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. There's a lot of meaning there. I mean, you got to, you got to, got to unpack it. I'm looking at the clock. I'm looking at the timestamp on the calls still remaining up there. And at this point, we can get both calls in, but I would have about 12 seconds left to make a comment. Uh, that's too short, even for me. I need at least 12 minutes. So this is from Lewis, C.S. Lewis, Clive's Staples Lewis. The book is God in the Dock. It was published in 1963. So what's that, 60 years ago? He said this. It applies to today. In a civilization like ours, I feel that everyone has to come to terms with the claims of Jesus Christ upon his life. Or else be guilty of inattention or of evading the question. In a civilization like ours, I feel that everyone has to come to terms with the claims of Jesus Christ upon his life. Or else be guilty of inattention or of evading the question. In the United States, in... 2024, I would think that most everyone has been exposed, maybe even made more clearly aware of Jesus Christ, who he claimed to be, and in fact said himself to be God. Now, they have often objections. Well, science has proved that we don't need faith. Or, we don't really have all that much evidence that Jesus even lived. Or, oh, those, those things were written 2,000 years ago. They've, they've undergone all kinds of changes in translation and recopying. You can't, you can't even know if any of that even remotely resembles what they were originally written as. 
Now, that's their opinion, their viewpoint. As, as Lewis would call it, that's evading the question. Because the question is, who is he? That's the question. Many people just invalidate him. They don't, but they don't explore the answer to that question. I remember when I was out of the church. I was out of the church for about eight years. And in my mind, I thought, well, as long as I pursue some form of Christianity, I'm okay. You know, God's God. Jesus is Jesus. Hey, I like it over here better than over there. Until I started, I hope, by God's grace, to look a little more deeply into the question. What did Jesus want? What did he set out? Who did he put in charge to teach in his name? I mean, there's got to be some kind of way to explore the answer to that question. And I knew I had to do that, or else, as Lewis said, I'd be guilty of inattention. I'd just say, well, my opinion's my opinion. I don't need to, I don't need to check it any further. Or of evading the question. One of the things more frustrating for me is when people who are aware of Jesus Christ and who are aware of what he claimed take it no further. That's it. They conclude how they want to view it. They come up with, as one of my cousins said, ah, the Bible's just a bunch of stories. Okay, so you've come to that conclusion. How? How'd you come to that conclusion? What exploring did you do? regarding the reliability of the Bible. What evidence did you look at? None. None. I've got my opinion. That's all the evidence I need. And I think that's the main reason in our culture why most people just ignore the whole Jesus question. Not necessarily that they're hostile. They just come up with their particular objection or viewpoint and they stop right there. They don't say, well, is there evidence? Can I look into this? What evidence do we have that he existed? Do we know that the Gospels are reliable from a literary standpoint? What does science say about the existence of God? Is there, is there a lot of scientific evidence that this universe is designed beyond comprehension? What about these Eucharistic miracles? Have they been explored? What about the Shroud? What about these saints that are incorrupt after decades and decades of being in the earth. What, what, what about this? I better look into it. But they don't. They don't. As Lewis said, everyone has to come to terms with the claims of Jesus Christ. We don't have anybody else that said, I'm God, and lasted as long as he did, or else be guilty of inattention or evading the question. Thank you for joining me here on This Doctor Is In. This is Dr. Ray, and walk with God. Don't evade the walk. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.